<laughs> a few announcements this morning. One that you've been waiting for is a congratulations to Sasan and, and Rebecca for a new son born this morning, Luke Thomas. So, uh, yes. And Mom and Luke are doing well. So, uh, all that is a congratulations. And uh, also, just a reminder that uh, next Sunday after the worship service, we're having our congregational meeting. We're also having with it a potluck, so bring something with you. We normally give enough time. Uh, we, our service normally ends around 11. We try to start the potluck and, and stuff by noon. So if you have to run and get something, you normally have enough time to. So uh, that will be this next Sunday. And the following Sunday, on the 13th, we're going to have a, uh, I think the best way to call it is a time of fellowship and remembrance for Arlene Scriver. And... Uh, that uh, we'll just have a time of, of sharing. And one of these things, I'm giving you a week's notice. If there's something that you would like to stay in remembrance of her that day and share with the rest of us a special situation or time, uh, feel free to, to come prepared to do that. We'll have an opportunity to share together. So that will be the following Sunday, March 13th. Um, for those at home who are watching this on the uh, uh, sermon net, uh, this is going to be available, this message will be available for one week online, and then it's, it's going to be, what, is it automatically deleted at that point? Okay. Okay. Um, I think that gets uh, all the announcements that I wanted to make. Um, in our prayer needs this morning, uh, just uh, to remember uh, Sasan and Rebecca and Luke in prayer, and uh, just to praise the Lord for them. And uh, the uh, Scribers, Phil Scriber, his family, uh, to keep them in prayer. And uh, then I have some special prayer requests that I was simply going to read that have come from uh, Ukraine. Uh, the Master's Academy, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Master's Academy. Uh, they have an international organization. They happen to have an academy in the Ukraine. And uh, they've sent us a, a list of uh, prayer requests that they asked that we would pray for this morning. So, uh, let's first pray for our congregational needs, and then I will read this other list to you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring our needs before you. We thank you and praise you for new life as we just uh, stand in, uh, with, with Rebecca and Sasan and say thank you for Luke Thomas. We ask that you would be with them, keep them healthy, keep them strong. And uh, just bless them. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be with Phil and minister to him. And minister to his family. As they uh, continue to miss Arlene. But we stand with absolute confidence, Lord. That she is face to face with her Lord and Savior, 
as Phil has said, it's where we all long to be. And uh, we just thank you for that confidence and look forward to the time when we join her. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In these, this prayer list for Ukraine, I'm simply going to read uh, what was sent to me. We ask that you join us in prayer as Russia has uh, invaded Ukraine. Only the Lord knows how extensive the fallout will be, but millions of lives are being affected. We've been in regular communication with our missionaries and teams in Ukraine, and we praise the Lord that current, they are currently safe and doing well in Christ. Please know that they have decided to stay and shepherd their churches through the difficult time. They've told us it's their sincere privilege to do so as they serve Christ. And by God's grace, there are other pastors throughout Ukraine with the same purpose. Uh, the, uh, mission, uh, the, the academy has over 900 graduates scattered across the country from its 30 years of ministry there. These men now have every opportunity to proclaim Christ to the lost and to share the only hope that is eternal. As we hear and see the cities that are impacted, know that there are faithful ministers and churches who are preaching the good news. What Ukraine needs in our prayers, prayer for the believers. Pray that they would encourage one another in the gospel that they would not be fearful, but that they would hold fast their hope in Christ, stimulating one another to love and good deeds. Several of our graduates are even serving as chaplains in the Ukrainian military. Pray for these men in their duty as soldiers and as men of God. Pray for the unbelievers. Pray that God would use this tragedy to draw them to Himself. And magnify His grace in their salvation, that Christ would save millions of sinners in this time. And then please pray for peace. This work, that this war would end, and that God would be merciful to the Ukrainian, Ukrainian people in restoring peace in their homeland. As the Lord allows, our team will post updates and make them available online. Thank you for praying the Master's Academy International. And this is one from one of the specific pastors that I thought I would share it with you. This is, uh, came in series of uh, prayer requests before the invasion. We have made some contingency plans because it seems like the wise thing to do like buying some non-perishable food, water, a propane stove, and packing bomb shelter pack, backpacks that are ready to go. But as Christians, we are not here to survive. We are here to love the Lord with all our hearts and joyously give everything we've got towards the fame of the Almighty. At the start of the invasion... This prayer need. Yesterday morning when the invasion started, we went up and down the stairs of our apartment building and told everyone who answered the door that our church is nearby and has an underground parking that is a place of refuge and shelter, that they can come to be uh, safe. 
We offered to help and give them, uh, we gave them a flyer with our church address and phone and the six most important gospel verses on the back. Pray for these people. We are praying fervently that this war will draw many to be saved. That's why we're still here on this earth and staying in the cities of Ukraine. And then update from today. This is actually yesterday. As we begin our third night here in uh, uh, Kiev, the periodic sirens and explosions, they often come in clumps of several in a row, and then it stops for a while. The Lord is answering your prayers and protecting us. Praise Him. Tonight we have about 50 people from our church and approximately another 15 or so unbelievers from the neighborhood using our church building as a refuge. There are several children and a couple of babies. This will be our third night sleeping on mats in our underground parking lot and using it as a bomb shelter. Special requests. For the situation in the church's underground parking lot, it's cold with no heating. So pray that people don't get sick. Electricity can also be cut any time. They're attempting to acquire a power generator. For the unbelievers among them, the group gathers three times a day for a short sermon and time of prayer. Today, uh, the Master's Academy leader taught from Psalm 23 and shared the gospel. Pray specifically for a family of three unbelievers who came to the church for shelter. For the pastors in Ukraine who are carrying a heavy burden with joy and grace, pray for their wisdom as they make plans for cleanup, providing for needs, and Sunday services tomorrow. So, lots of prayer requests tomorrow. there. I'm not going to mention them again as I pray, but would you join me in prayer for the nation of Ukraine and the Christian churches ministering to the people? Father, we come to you, Lord, with heavy hearts. It's hard to, to see the news, and, it, and it's easy to get caught up with all that's happening and miss the, the reality of what's going on in the churches. Thank you for these updates from churches right there in Ukraine and Kiev, uh, Kiev and, and, and other cities. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with the pastors. Give them a boldness, Lord, to preach your word, to share the gospel. For all the believers uh, that have the opportunity to interact with non-believers, and especially for the three that have been mentioned here, we bring them to you and ask for their salvation, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would provide for their needs, the food. I, I, I noted uh, in one of the emails, with the curfew, uh, it makes it difficult to, to keep supplied. And so uh, they've asked for special prayer needs there. And we just ask, Lord, that you would provide their every need. Keep them safe in these underground facilities. And we ask, Lord, that you would, again, use this opportunity as only you can to turn it around and make it an opportunity for great mercy to be poured out and salvation, revival to happen. We worship you and we praise you as we commit these people to you. And ask, Lord, that you would bring them to our mind frequently as we see the news, as, as we walk through the day, that we might just think and pray uh, for these people in need. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, our message will be found in First uh, Peter chapter two. First uh, Peter chapter two, starting with the fourth verse. This, uh, as I read through these verses multiple times over the last week, I asked a, a, a question that finally, you know, and most of you know I have, I, I have on my desk one of these big blank uh, desk pads and I write my notes as they come uh, all over that. And if you really get interested, I'll show you sometime, uh, but there's arrows drawing from here to there and wherever as they connect things together. But one of the things that, that hit me was, how do I see myself? Now, let me explain that. How do I see myself? I could be in, in a very general sort of way as, as a husband, as a father, uh, as a brother, uh, how do, uh, an uncle. <laughs> how do I see myself? Okay. And then what followed that was immediately was, Lord, how do you see me? That became a lot more difficult to deal with. And then I thought, also, how do you see me? Because this whole section has to do with us living out our lives as, uh, in a sense, uh, Christian people in the world that is lost. The, The world that is lost is all around us. How do we live out our lives in such a way that it impacts people for Christ. We're thinking of that for Ukraine as we pray for them. We need to pray the same thing for us right now. In fact, right now there's a number of people who could be absolutely terrified in the United States because they've heard in the last uh, 12 hours that, that, that Putin has talked about nuclear war. He's mentioned it in passing in one of his presentations one of his TV announcements. That's very intimidating. For all of those of you, uh, you know, that are old enough that you went through the Bay of Pigs or, or the, the, the 60s and 70s, the Cold War, with always that threat of nuclear uh, arm uh, attack hanging over uh, the world, uh, it, was a, it was a different time. And there were a few touchy situations during that time that, that caused us to be concerned. I can remember, of course, now this is something that a number, most of you probably don't recall at all, but there was, we had the uh, duck and cover. And that's the same thing that you have done up here for years uh, and are still doing for earthquakes. Okay? Well, we had the duck and cover. They would, they would sound the, the, the siren and this would be citywide. They would do this, uh, and and all the schools would participate at the same time. And we would duck and cover, and and you know it crossed my mind after I was uh, older that how ridiculous that really was, 
in the proximity of where Santa Barbara is, just uh, 60, uh, 60 direct miles from Vandenberg Air Force Base, uh, where the missiles were, uh, a number of missiles were, and silos were in, in place, and it was a, one of the number one targets. And for you that are up here, there was a, an active submarine base uh, that was a, considered a major target. So who knows, you know, what, whether that would have done anything or not. But the idea is, is that we were going through those things. And, and now, again, we're faced with this idea of someone who has the buttons to push, maybe not being in control of himself. That's scary. But it's an opportunity. If somebody says, you know, this, 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 and this, are you scared? You might want to say, yeah, that's intimidating, but... And you have the opportunity to share why you have a peace. No matter what is happening over here, whatever happens there, I have a peace in Jesus Christ. I know that I have eternal life. That might be all you get to share with that person, but they'll walk away saying, I wonder how you get that peace. Who knows what door you might have opened. So what we're looking at this morning is, is you know, how do people see me? Am I, am I a good witness for Christ? God, do you see me as a witness for your kingdom? Do I see myself in that way as I evaluate and look? What could I change? What could I do differently? What should I change? What should I do differently? Let's look at the, the Scriptures in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to Him, Jesus Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to, other spiritual sac- to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those of you who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, and that has become this cornerstone is now a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. And this word is, is always, you've got to catch it as it's coming there. It says, but. There's going to be a, a contrast put to you here now. But you, speaking to the believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who calls you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Then we take almost, in a sense, a step backwards thinking about what was. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Where I want to start with this is uh, a song you might be familiar with. I didn't bring it to play. Uh, I just wanted to to draw your attention. Well, first, a a different article, uh, part of one here. Um, This was something that was written in the second century. Okay, and it's... uh, been handed down through the years along with other church fathers' literature. They don't know who wrote this, but it was in part of many church fathers' writings as they passed it on to others. So uh, let me share it with you. An anonymous writer describes a strange people who are in the world but not of the world. Notice the word strange people. Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, not by language or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land is as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened, and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as have been given new life. They are attacked by Jews and aliens and are persecuted by Greeks, and yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. There was much more to the letter, but I thought it was an interesting picture to go with what we are sharing today from the Scriptures that I've just read. So I again put down here, how do I see myself? And I was, this this last week I, I was just, 
passing through some uh, some songs, and one of them was uh, a song by the Newsboys, uh, a group that's been around with for a long time. A lot of different singers in it, but it's been around for a long time, and. They have a song that came out, I think, around 2015. And I hadn't heard it for a, uh, a while, and, and it was came up on uh, YouTube, and so I played it. And it's called Guilty. And you would think that, that you know, uh, the idea is, is recognizing that, you know, the, the thought would be, well, are they recognizing they're guilty of their sin, but saved through Jesus Christ? That would be the kind of song you might expect. But the, the real question here is, are they guilty of being ones who proclaim Christ? And it reminded me of a song back in the 70s, Evidence. And the song, there's another song out now called Evidence. If you type it in on the internet, it'll give you a whole new song. I can't even find the old one. I'd have to go back and, and I've got it on an album done by what was called the Impact Brass. And uh, the first time I heard it was through them. And, and it's, it's, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being guilty of being a Christian? And this had to do with a guy who was in South America who was arrested because the, the head of this uh, country at this point in time was anti-Christian and was starting to arrest pastors. But he wasn't arresting all the pastors. He was only arresting the pastors that were fervent for Christ. And the question mark was, is there enough evidence to convict you of being one of those fervent for Christ? So this idea is, I I wrote again here on my notes, how do I see myself? I said, do I see myself as guilty of spreading the gospel, of being one who would, on his day-to-day life, not just Sunday mornings from the pulpit, but on his day-to-day life, share a gospel lifestyle. In fact, I wanted to emphasize that. Gospel lifestyle. A Christian lifestyle. In chapter 2, verse 5, it starts out, it says, You are a holy priest. You are a, you are a spiritual house. Now, this idea of a spiritual house implies the Holy Spirit's involved. Okay, and how, how are we the house? How are we a spiritual house, individually and collectively? But when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in us. We are now a, as, as Paul uses a metaphor here, a living stone, just like Christ is a living stone. Okay, we are now a living stone indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But collectively, we are indwelled, if you will, as a group of believers where two or more are gathered together. I am in your midst, Jesus said. And so we are indwelled that way. And so we collectively together are also a spiritual house. The Holy Spirit working through us, teaching us, admonishing us, bringing us close together and, and, and close to the throne of God. And he tells us here very distinctly, we are a holy priesthood. So, you are a holy priest. Now, don't get into the semantics of male and female here. Just, uh, you know, the idea is that we are just, we are a holy priesthood. 
spiritual house. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone we hear here. And all of this spiritual house is built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Most of you are familiar with the idea of of buildings because we've shared it in here many times. The idea of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. If there's a cornerstone, uh, we have in a building project, the cornerstone would have been the place where everything from that house was built out. So the cornerstone is fixed. It's it's normally heavy, not movable, and, and everything keys off of that. It's the key to the building of the house, if you will. And everything is measured. So if you're looking for a 90-degree angle coming off the cornerstone for a wall, it's measured off that cornerstone. And then that means that as you measure off of that wall over here, you'll still be able to get a true 90 because this one was measured off the cornerstone. But if you want, you can draw and bring a string from the cornerstone to that corner and, and, and still double-check it using geometry and all this kind of stuff. And and it's it's so the cornerstone is the pivotal point, the key to the building. Everything rests on that. And so this spiritual house that we have become through Jesus Christ as our Savior is resting on the strength, the ministry, the promises, the mercy, the grace of Jesus Christ. Gosh, we can't lose. Nope. (laughs) We can't lose. Okay, so we have this this picture that he is the cornerstone. And then it goes on to say, uh, for those who are believers, it's it's something that, that lifts us up. Look at it, it says, uh, the, the, so the honor is for you who believe. But look at verse 7, it says, those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They don't believe that. And this, they, uh, it becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they are destined to do. So, within the framework of the world, Jesus Christ is lifted up. It's lifted up primarily through the church. He's lifted up through the church and the witness of, of the people of God. And the world looks at this testimony of a resurrected, physically, bodily resurrected Jesus Christ who ascended into heaven and says, where I am, I will bring you to. And there's many mansions and there's eternal life and all the things that go with it. And, and the world looks at it and, and, and the unsaved world looks at it and says, nah. Maybe some of you in here shook your head at it at some point in your life before you became a Christian. And as we look at this, we realize we can see how it is a stumbling block. The resurrection is a stumbling block for a lot of people. The idea of the Bible is God breathed. The whole Word of God given to us is a stumbling block for a lot of people. And so the things of Christ, the things of God, Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and so all of this becomes, it's either something you embrace, or it's actually something that you shed or push away from. 
I'm going to suggest to you that, that the Scripture holds the principle that there's only two categories of people. Those who embrace Christ and those who reject Christ. That's it. You're one or the other. The Word has absolutes in it. That's why they, they don't want to hear it. It has absolute rights and absolute wrongs. It talks about sexual immorality in such a way that it, it delineates what is wrong in, in, sexual, in the world in reference to the, the sexual world we live in today. And as a result, it makes people look at us as, as Christians who abide by these words and say this is the Word of God. They look at us and say how narrow-minded you are. And they stumble over the Word of God. They stumble over Christ. A rock of offense to them. So that's where the world is. But then Peter so boldly puts it here. But... You are a chosen race. And the idea of chosen here is, is, is right off the bat. God has called you. He has chosen you. You are His. He has invited you. He has opened your eyes. You are called. You are chosen. Come and be with me. Chosen. I heard one person put it in an interesting way. He says, we are a privileged people. We are a privileged people. We've been chosen. And not because we deserve it. In that context, we are guilty of our sins. And then the guilt is removed through the blood of Christ when we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior. Believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead for our salvation. He says, Paul says in Romans there, chapter 12, you are saved. Or chapter 10, excuse me. You are saved. We are privileged people. He says we're a royal priesthood. Now, I don't have time to get into this this morning. This is multiple sermons all in and of itself about the idea of a royal priesthood. But let me give you a couple of scriptural references if you want, and you can make this a study on your own. Hebrews chapter 7 and 8 talk about the order of Melchizedek and Melchizedek's priesthood. Because Jesus Christ isn't from the tribe of Judah. I mean, Benjamin. Levi, thank you. <laughs> He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is our high priest. He shouldn't be able to be our high priest. But he comes under the order of Melchizedek, something that precedes Levi. And so you find out about this in Genesis chapter 14, I think starting with the 17th verse is a, a, a part of the, the explanation. And so we, we find that, that, you know, this picture of, of a royal priesthood. So when we are called holy priests, we are a royal priesthood. We are a priesthood uh, related to, related to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We are joint heirs with Him. 
He calls us brothers and sisters. I mean, how awesome is all of this? We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're set apart from the rest of the world as believers. It has nothing to do with geographical boundaries of the, of the earth. It has to do with the kingdom of God. And as members of, G, of the kingdom of God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are a holy nation. And then, if you have a King James Version, it's going to tell you you're a peculiar person. And I, it's all right. It's, it's worth a good chuckle. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I share with people, you know, I'll say, oh, you're a strange person. No, I mean a peculiar person. You know, the idea is, is that, is <laughs> the idea of that peculiar person. It's a people for his own possession is a literal translation. We're a peculiar, unique people. We are a people for His, God's own possession. We belong to Him. We're His. We just sing it. I am His and He is mine. And so we are a holy nation, a peculiar people. And it goes on. We are to proclaim and declare... Jesus Christ. We're to proclaim Jesus Christ. It's to declare Jesus Christ. Um, how do we declare? How do we proclaim? Well, we can share our testimony. So I put down here testimony. And uh, some of you uh, have been at church meetings where maybe midweek or Sunday night church meetings, uh, years gone by, where somebody said, Do we have a testimony tonight? And somebody would get up and share what God was doing in their life. Not necessarily how they got saved, but what God was doing right now in their life. A current testimony. By the way, if you have a testimony in reference to how you have been saved, make sure it gets updated as to things that God is doing in your life now so that a person understands it's not just getting saved, but an ongoing relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So, this idea of, of, of proclaim, declare, uh, tell the people... And it's, uh, you know, preaching is declaring. Teaching is a sense of declaring. So sharing our testimony, all of these different ways that we proclaim the Word of God, the testimony of God, the awesomeness of God, His mercy, His grace, His salvation. In verse 10, you notice it says, Once you were not this people... You, once you didn't have this testimony. But now you are God's people. So you have a testimony. You have something to declare. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have something to declare. To proclaim. chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He goes on now. Verse 11. 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. If what I have said is true about you, Peter's basically saying, then you should be a new person. Paul says we're a new creature in Christ. If we're a new creature in Christ, if, if, if something... Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, how many times do we use this verse? Uh, that, you know, we're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. We're a new creation, but to be transformed is the idea. And transformed is changed from within. Not just what we do, but our, our way we think. Our mind. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. How is our mind renewed? Through the Word of God. New creatures in Christ. He calls them sojourners and people in exile. Sojourners is just another word for pilgrim. Pilgrims are people who are passing through. This isn't their homeland. They're passing through. How many of you have probably, probably a lot of you have read the, the, the book Pilgrim's Progress? And so, you know, you go through it and, and you, you see the, the, it's, the story is full of people and their names all relate to some part of what's going on in their life. Pilgrim is the one passing through the world to get to the, to the, the, the river, to cross it, to be into heaven, which is his home. It's where he longs to be. He doesn't even understand it all. He starts out with this huge burden on his back, which is all of his sin. And it's released at the foot of the cross in the, in, in, in the early part of his pilgrimage. He, he read it in the Word, and now he sought the cross, and his burden rolls away. And all that goes on is, is the reality of working our way, walking our way, sojourning through the world, but not part of it. We're aliens. We're not part of it. We don't belong here. Our home is the kingdom of God. Eternal life with the Father. That's where we belong. That's what we long for. And if the worst thing the world can throw at us is death, Paul says to live is Christ, to die, I'm going to paraphrase, I win. I win. To die is gain. I win. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We're passing through. That's who we are. And we're in the process of being transformed, changed by the renewing of our mind through the Word of God as we go. So we're continually growing in the Lord. So verse 12 says, very clearly, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Okay? The word conduct literally translated could be translated lifestyle. Keep your lifestyle honorable. It has to do with every aspect. Your lifestyle is how you conduct your life day in, day out. Business and otherwise. I shared this very part of this in a message in a, in a Sunday school uh, class with uh, oh, easily 150 adult people in it. And afterwards, I was pulled aside 
And I was told by one of them, you have no idea what it is to conduct business in this world and what you have to do to get by and survive. And he says, you, you just don't understand. And I, all I could say was, if I, if I read the Scriptures correctly, if I conduct myself in such a way as shortchange my, my employees or, or uh, in a way of bidding a job or, or any other way and be dishonest in order to get the job, or to sell the product, I am not conducting myself in such a way that God would be glorified. I need to trust God that no matter where I am. What if they fire me? Then I didn't belong there. I've been fired for that. And the irony, if you want an irony on top of irony, because it was a good job, Owners, the old owner came back and reclaimed his business. He's going through the books. He says, where's this guy? God had blessed me there. He called me up and says, would you like to come back at your, at, 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 at your old rate plus a, a, a stronger salary, a, a hourly salary? I was there the next day. God is in charge. And so here we are with this idea of, of, you know, conduct your lifestyle. And your lifestyle and how you conduct your lifestyle is what provides the evidence that Christ is real in your life. And I was looking this up again, guilty, not guilty, courtroom, judgment, you know, all of these types of things. And here, is there enough evidence? Now, Listen carefully as I put this, because I'm putting it in the negative. Is there enough evidence against you that would convict you of being a Christian? Is there enough evidence? What kind of evidence are we talking about? Let me give you a quick list. There, There's... Uh, demonstrative evidence, which would be uh, diagrams, charts, things like that. Have you ever been in a courtroom, maybe, in, in, or seen it on television? Be careful of the ones, you know, I'm not, you know but, but, you know, they, and they have a chart and it shows how the accident happened or whatever. That would be demonstrative evidence. There's real evidence. Actually, for lack of better words, the smoking gun. You know, there's real evidence that, that comes into play. And, and then there's a testimonial evidence. What people saw. And then there's documentary. Uh, the day you were saved, maybe you were given a, a certificate or a Bible that says, you know, saved on this day. Maybe you have a baptismal certificate. Uh, and, and so uh, in, in the world, this would be, you know, like a police report, depositions, coroner's report, you know, all sorts of different things that would be documentary. Okay. The more evidence there is throughout that list of, of what you are, is it, it's better for your case if you're trying to, whatever you're trying to prove, if you're trying to put it in your favor. So is there enough evidence? Or is it happening in multiple places in your life? Not just church on Sunday, not just uh, Bible study, uh, not just around other believers, uh, but is there enough ongoing evidence? 
that someone would say, Hey, you're the guy that's the Christian, aren't you? That's almost word for word in a sense. It's a paraphrase out of Acts. They called the believers Christians. It was the non-believers that used the term. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a follower of Jesus Christ in your life? And the answer is, is, is not a matter of just simply yes or no, but is it something that's growing and building? The more evidence is, as you go in, in your life. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is the best evidence of Jesus. People have tried, I don't know how many times, to disprove it and have failed miserably. Best evidence is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, is who He says He is, who the Bible says He is. And so, you know, when we come to, to communion, we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're saying that these are symbols that represent the evidence of what Jesus has done for us. And as we share it, we're saying we agree. Communion is something we take every week because we feel it's significant enough that it's a part of our faith, that it should be something that we honor Christ in this way every Sunday. Somebody asked me the, uh, the other day, can we take communion more than, than, than Sunday? The answer is yes. It's not just something that happens on Sunday. Maybe you're making a call with somebody that's a shut-in. You could take communion with you and, get, and share it with them. It's, there's, and it doesn't have to be a pastor. That hands it out. It does, you know, it's it's something that God has given us to recall what Jesus has done. The evidence of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is symbolically presented every Sunday when we share communion. So let's share communion this morning. We have two uh, trays of, for communion here. One has got the packets. The other one has two cups, one with the bread, one with the grape juice. Uh, and whichever one you're comfortable using, feel free to use. But you're going to have to come up and get it yourself because we're not going to pass it to you as we're still a little concerned about some of the COVID statistics in our county. So we'll do it this way again. So uh, we're going to sing together, and uh, we'll share. You feel free to come up and get the communion uh, while we're sharing in this song.
night that Jesus was betrayed at the supper he shared with the disciples, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and passed it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat, do this in remembrance of me. At that same meal... He took the cup of wine, the cup of blessing at the end of the meal and lifted it up to them and said, this cup represents the new covenant, the blood poured out to purchase the grace. He was referring to what was going to happen shortly on the cross. And he asked us as often as we would drink this cup to do it in remembrance of the cost of what it was for our sins to be covered and paid for. Father, we find ourselves again saying thank You for Your mercy, for Your grace that You so loved the world that You gave Your only Son to cover our sins. So that You would be able to Give us the, the phrase of, of Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is no sin. It's covered. Thank You, Lord. Cause us now as we leave to take our walk with You seriously in the sense of what we could do even more. I think of the Thessalonians when you told them to, through Paul that yes, you've got a reputation of great love. Now love even more. That we would be that kind of people wanting to bless you and to be a testimony to others. Declaring the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. 
thank you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close, please?
Amen. Lord bless. Have a wonderful rest of the day.